The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us. Episode 860 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the lovely, talented, scholarly, Brittany Page. Well, we have had a bit of a journey over the past week. We announced on Patreon that we had an interview that was scheduled that was unexpectedly canceled at the very last minute. And so we... Inside of two hours of them scheduled to be in studio. Yeah, so we didn't we have got an email. we didn't have an an episode planned for to make up for that. And you had a root canal the next day. Yeah. And you were kind of going through it. You were actually having some anxiety about it and you don't normally have Yeah. anxiety and you were you were kind of scared for for the root canal even though the place should i give the tagline of the place no, okay no i don't want to identify the business at all okay well they make a claim about the root canal yeah that it's that it's going to be something that you enjoy basically <laughs> it's going to be easy to handle <laughs> and was it easy to handle was it no no it was painful the entire time mm-hmm. i have a tooth that like even our dentist um our terrible dentist in california couldn't get this one numb one time and like he gave me multiple shots he had the dental hygienist come in and give me shots he went and referred to a textbook that's to never see good another way <laughs> to get it numb never good and he finally just decided i'll just patch it up and then you will send you on your way oh great dentistry is a racket uh, you know what I'm Steven Crowder right now, sitting at a table <laughs> on a college campus. Change my mind about dentistry being a racket. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so so he sent me on my way. Well, just before the new year, I was eating something that was sticky, and it pulled that filling out, the send you on your way filling. Mm-hmm. And so I finally eventually went to the dentist, our dentist here in, in D.C., who... We love our dentist. She is fantastic. She is. I think it may be the first time you've liked a dentist, by the way. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> Which is a great sign. Generally not a fan. I mean, I've gotten out of... It's gonna. I'm really going to paint myself like a dickhole, but I've gotten up in the middle of dentist appointments multiple times, gotten up out of the chair, unclipped the little dribble cloth from my, you know, the bib, <laughs> and gotten out of there because... They're always trying to upsell. It's like when I got cancer, mm-hmm. no one was upselling me on hubbity doo. Let's send the lady in and have her schmooze you and try to upsell you on whatever the da, da, da. you know. They just heal you. Yes. They just treat you. Yeah. Because it's medicine. Right. That's not the way I've experienced dentistry in the United States. Anyway, I, anyway, I'm going far afield here. Um, you also, you have like broken teeth. It's more than just the filling being ripped yeah, out. You had welfare some, mouth. Yeah, so some of your teeth have been breaking and and so you're getting that fixed. You have another dentist appointment today. Right. It's, it's been a process. It's continuing. Post root canal. Now I'm going back to my dentist to have the root canal tooth dealt with and put a crown on and everything else. But anyway, all of this, I'm not, there's, I could talk, we could do an entire show about my, my, <laughs> I don't want to maybe use the word anxiety or anxiousness, but uh, my anger, how about that? My frustration, that's more accurate, with American dentistry and with our healthcare system. Yeah. I mean, we don't have dental insurance. I was out of pocket over $2,000 for the root canal, 
And insurance? Nah. nah. Yeah, because if you pay, if you pay, and I don't want to get into specifics of like what our premium is, but it's not cheap every month that we pay for our health insurance. And we don't have dental insurance, even though an essential part of your physical health is even your teeth. Heart disease starts in the teeth oftentimes. Yeah, your teeth are essential in order for your overall physical health. And uh, that's been a frustrating thing for me. We, we've talked about the dentist that we had in California before we moved, and and uh, he would always tell me that I was, like, dying of my teeth when I would go in there. Like, yeah. he would, like, sit me down. And, and you're fastidious about your – you floss every single day. I mean, I don't floss every day, but more often than not, I floss, for sure. You know, no one would have known otherwise had you just gone along with it. <laughs> I know, This right? is your dedication <laughs> to the truth and accuracy. But you can't even let that slide. I floss multiple times every day. <laughs> In fact, I'm flossing right now. <laughs> I never stop flossing. So, I really thought you flossed every day. Yeah, well. I don't know what happens in the bathroom when you disappear to brush your teeth. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, and then you would go in and, you know, you don't floss as much as me. We'll just say that. We don't right. need to get into specifics. And he was always, like, treating you like you were a little prince. Like you were just this perfect little example. The paragon uh, of dental health. Of, of how people should be treating their teeth, right? And it, it was the most frustrating thing, but... The, the reason that he would hone in on me, and I know this is going to shock people, is that I was easy to scare with with that, right? And he would the say- The anxiety is palpable. Right, that we would need to do this extra $100 thing. Again, and, upsell. And put it on your gums, and he would send you know the receptionist in to like counsel me about how it was going to be an additional fee that wasn't covered by my insurance, and I was like, sure, whatever. Yeah, I'm dying of my teeth. I need it, right? <laughs> um <laughs> Well, let's let's wrap with this, by the way. They eventually did get my tooth numb. Yeah. Almost all the way. There yeah. were still several moments where they were drilling and, like, lightning strike hitting the nerve. Mm. But they drilled, like, a little, like, very tiny drill hole into my jawbone and just inserted the, the numbing agent, God. the anesthetic, right into the bone. Yeah, so. you definitely were sore for more than 24 hours. I afterward. was still sore yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's finally feeling less swollen. I took pictures of my face and it wasn't good. Yeah. <laughs> but we're back. We apologize for our minor absence. Uh, I'm more bummed about missing out on the interview and that uh, we have another big one scheduled this next week. And uh, full steam ahead. Yes. As, as they say. Well, before we fully move on from the, the health complaints, we are going to read an email from a listener before we, we really get into it. Hi, my name is Sally. I live in Australia. I wanted to tell you something that happened to my husband this week. He fell. He broke four ribs. Mm. He had subcutaneous emphysema. Ambulance came, four x-rays, one MRI, and Two ultrasounds later, plus 24 hours in the ICU and 48 hours on ward, he was released with all the pain relief he may need for the next week. He came home today. Total cost, nothing. No insurance company drama, nothing. All free. The reason I'm sending this is because I'm puzzled. How come a country that calls itself the greatest on earth couldn't do this for one of its citizens? We're not rich. We live a comfortable life in a home, which we fully own, and neither my husband nor I had any fear about money when he had this accident. This is not a USA bashing email. I love the beauty and potential of it. I've visited many times, and I lived in Bermuda, parenthetically, far more American than British. I just wish someone, anyone, could let your people know there is a better way to live. Very best wishes, Sally. Sally. And I didn't mean to say it like that. It's just there's a P.S. that isn't oh. meant for me to read. And so... Oh, I, you almost read it. <laughs> I was going to read it. So, I mean, this really just goes... This this exemplifies the point. This We're a, we're a laughing stock. It is a joke. It, it, it really does point to conservatives who are desperate to continue to claim that America is the, the bright and shining city on a hill that everyone aspires to be, the freest country, the oldest democracy, and it's just fucking nonsense. Well, and again, we pay 
we pay for insurance every month, and we actually just got another bill for your cancer surgery. Yeah. Like it, Still paying. Two weeks. Almost six months later. No, and I, I said out loud, because you were like, what is this bill? And I'm like, how can they possibly still be sending us bills? The surgery was in October. It's almost like, oh, still alive? Uh, we did our job. Pay up. Yeah, so I don't. I honestly don't know what it was. I, I need to call and just make sure that it's not a scam, that they're not going to send us a periodic bill that's just seeing up, if we pay it. That's their upsell. Um, but <laughs> it did say that the insurance covered... I don't remember how much the surgery would have cost us if we didn't have insurance. I, I don't remember. Yeah. I, I've tried to av- avoid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is an example, though, for Sally saying that you can go into the hospital, you can get treatment, and you are charged nothing. And, yeah. and here, if you don't have insurance, you're going to be sent a bill for tens of thousands or more dollars. Yeah. And take care of your husband there. I've broken ribs. Oof. I got beat up in a fight. Navy SEALs are not weaklings. Mm. We'll just say that. Mm-hmm. And I broke two ribs and uh, not good. Mm-hmm. Very, very rough recovery. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> yes. Don't be a cocky 20-year-old, please. Also, don't eat at Applebee's, I think, <laughs> is part of the, is that part of the message? Oh, wow. Yeah, maybe that's where my... My uh, disdain for Applebee's comes. <laughs> yeah. That was in the parking lot. Yes. Of an Applebee's. Yes. Camp Lejeune, mm. North Carolina. Mm. Or Jacksonville. What's in Don Base? Yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us today, everybody. We appreciate you and your patience. Uh, before we move on to listener communication, we want to take some time to thank you if you are a patron of the show on Patreon. And also ask that if you are not yet a patron, that you... Consider supporting the show, helping produce this show by going to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. Every little bit goes a long way. If we're able to marshal the size of our audience, if two, three, four, five percent of our audience gave two dollars a month, it would be a game changer relative to our reach, relative to the kind of guests we can get, everything. Again, patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. And remember, the biggest perk right now is that you get access to the ad-free show. Whether you listen on Patreon.com as a patron through the post that we put on there, or you have the RSS feed link that you can paste into your podcatcher and have the version of the ad-free show. So that's 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 an important perk. So thank you to our new Patreon supporters, Nexor E. Nexor E. Daphne W. Daphne W. Jeff M. Jeff M. Barb F. Barb F. Shout out to Barb, long time supporter. I know Barb said we don't need to uh, <laughs> give her a shout out because she just switched her support from PayPal to Patreon. But here we are because we can't we can't pass by Barb's name. And we that, love Barb. Yes, Barb, uh, former guest of the program, professional genealogist, did both of our our background write ups or. I don't know how we do the research. Background write-ups. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Edward S. G. Edward S. G. Aza. Aza. Audra R.K. Audra R.K. Chester C. Chester C. Danielle L. Danielle L. And Ryan D.F. Ryan D.F. And thank you very much to our new Patreon supporters. What do we do? We we haven't done a show in a few days, and this feels like the hardest thing I've done all week. I'm sweating by how stressed I am about how that went. Felt pretty good to <laughs> it me. It did not go well. I think it's great. It did not go well. Fantastic. All right. Thank we are you. pros. Yeah. All right. I'm going to drop the phone number before we get to some listener communication, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Let's go to a call with the continuing gun debate, the never-ending gun debate in our country. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. I was listening to your latest episode, and honestly, I'm sick of the gun battle. My mom says that the best home defense is just having stickers, even if you don't have one, but saying you have an alarm system. And, like, what's with all the fucking guns? Like, I get in the South where police are further away, you might want to just scare people away, but you guys are right. Just get a shotgun. Just put click of the whole um, chambering the bullet. 
would scare people away because they don't want to get shot. But you don't need to shoot people. Like, why? I, I'm not against gun ownership, but I'm, like, nonviolent. I'd rather run than hurt you. Like, I, I know how to hurt you. I work with special needs kids, so I know how to restrain you without hurting you or me. But you don't need to shoot them. Just scare them. An, an alarm system, even if you don't have one, just let them know, don't steal from me, don't hurt me. But, yeah, I guess I'm just sick of the gun argument. You can own them, but you need to prove that you have the ability to use them properly. Just don't hurt people. Why do we have to hurt people? Anyway, I love you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. If you have to argue about gun ownership, do it. I'm just sick of society and people thinking I can just own a gun because I want to. And I can shoot people. Anyway, I love you guys. Sweepy's the best part. Sweepy's. Anyway, bye. She sure is. I can't i mean you know when you think of people like like the caller said that people should only own guns if they can do so responsibly and i know so many people that i feel like should never have a weapon i don't know if they do but i can just think of many people off oh, the top yeah. of my head that i feel like should never have a weapon and it's hair not- triggered tempered type people yeah and other things yeah, but yeah. it it it's and and they won't ever be barred from that because they're they're not going to be like involuntarily held, for example, and uh, they may never be convicted felons, for example. But they they should never have a weapon. Yeah, I, I don't think so. When it comes to this question of how to prove whether or not you are capable of handling a weapon, I feel like in the past two days alone, we've seen Crazy. that there are a number of people out there who are armed. And watching Fox News and hearing messages about, you know, you, you brought this up after the, the shooting of Ralph Yarl, which we're going to talk about, that a lot of these older people are just watching Fox News, hearing these messages about what society looks like, and they're just getting so scared. Oh, yeah. You know? Crime is rampant. Black Lives Matter, Antifa, you're in danger. Right. You, 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 you mix that, you blend that with a paranoia from watching Tucker Carlson and white genocide. Right. And then you add in guns, and it's a recipe for the, 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 the scenes that, we've been, that have been playing out all across the country, whether it be a 20-year-old girl getting murdered for dr- pulling into the wrong driveway before they just they pulled in to pull out to leave, right. and they were... A girl was killed. Uh, a group of teenage girls in Texas, I believe, g- accidentally got into the wrong car and shot. Mm-hmm. This the, the Ralph Yarl, mm-hmm. another sixteen. Luckily, he he lived, but killed for ringing the wrong doorbell, or not killed, uh, gravely injured, shot in the head. Yeah, looks like he's going to be okay, but shot with the intent to kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, for ringing the wrong doorbell. Yeah. So, listen, I, I I think the conversation that we need to start having about, I mean, if you're someone like me who does also believe that we have a, a natural right of self-defense and I don't begrudge anybody ownership of a gun, but certain guns should not be publicly available. And the AR-15, the AR-15 style weapon, if you have a gun that's modeled after the M-16 and a literal weapon of war, you shouldn't be allowed to own that. I mean, no, no. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and uh, by the way, I wouldn't be opposed to banning it from cops. It, that's how dangerous it is. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Also, I just want to say I didn't endorse people getting shotguns to defend their homes. That was Jesse. <laughs> not, I'm I'm okay with having not, a shotgun. Not that I'm saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that Jesse's the one who said that, not me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Thank you for the call. We appreciate it very much. Anonymous caller. Yes. Um, moving on. Still talking about guns. Hey, Jesse, Brittany. It's Eric in Michigan. I'm listening to episode 859, and I had to stop when I got to the point with Charlie Kirk. Uh, first of all, Charlie Kirk is 
Charlie Kirk. <laughs> He's going to be who he is, and his talking points don't change. But uh, I was surprised when you guys didn't bring up the fact that his example of driving as being so dangerous um, doesn't include – he conveniently decides not to include all the laws that have been put into place to keep people safe, including safety belts and uh, speed limits, and police are patrolling the streets uh, to try to make sure that everybody stays within those limits and is safe and that people who are driving have licenses and insurance which currently are not required for most gun ownership. So uh, his little example of driving being dangerous is, what do they call that, a straw man or something? I can never remember what those arguments are, but I know that it is a false equivalency, and he should just sit down and be quiet. Anyway, you guys are awesome. Uh, I've actually put your number in my phone <laughs> so that I can contact you if I want to. Uh, thanks for everything you do. Take care. Happy Easter to you. Because uh, I'm calling you on Sunday. Uh, I hope that you all have a wonderful week. Take care. Bye-bye. So, two things. Uh, one is, yes, we did not <laughs> dismantle his fallacious, stupid argument. Cars are also registered, and you don't register the gun. Oh, what are they going to do? The big government's coming for your cars. <laughs> um, I really went on the... The whole power structure's coming down. Number one show in the world right now. So, Number one show in the world. But let me also say this, uh, Eric. Um, thank you for calling in. Thank you for plugging our number into your phone. Yes. That's fantastic. That's something we used to say all the time yeah. to, to, to plug us in. But let me, let me negate some of that praise by saying Eric did... Maybe the most irritating thing that people do what? in YouTube comments and in calls. It's, I can't believe you guys didn't say this thing. Oh. It's, <laughs> there are so many angles that you can take when dismantling dum-dums like Charlie Kirk. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard. so much time. It's hard to cover it all. Yeah. And, and so also we leave a lot of that up to people like Eric to call in. Exactly. And say, yeah. Charlie Kirk is a twitchy Zeppelin-headed freak, and this is why he's wrong. <laughs> okay. Dun, so, dun, dun. Yeah, so... You don't have to wait for the sound to end. You can just start talking over the crickets. It, the crickets are meant to convey an awkward silence, so it, it actually is fitting with the theme of the crickets to remain silent. You know what else fits with the theme of the crickets? Huh? Views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. All right. So, unfortunately, the, the gun thing continues to be relevant because, like we said, there have been at least three stories in the past two days where people have just been somewhere on accident where they didn't intend to be and got shot because of it. And the first example of that is Ralph Jarl, who is 16 years old and was trying to pick up his siblings from a friend's house. Now, he was he was 100 yards from where he was supposed to be. The street names were very similar. 115th was on both streets. Yeah, that, that one was, was like on. Terrace, one was street. Yeah, and he he doesn't bring his phone with him when he drives because he's a responsible kid. Yeah. <laughs> and so he didn't have his phone with him to like verify where he was supposed to go, but he's, you know, picking up his siblings. He was going to stay outside of the house while his siblings ran outside to the car when he got there. And he 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 got to the house and I'm assuming because they didn't come out, he decided to get out of the car, go up to the house, and unfortunately his siblings were not there and it was an eighty five year old man who decided to, without any words exchanged, without asking why the kid was there, decided to shoot him, including in the head and in the arm. Now luckily he's alive, he's been released from the hospital. But these are serious injuries, and and not to mention the psychic, the trauma of it all. Absolutely, that he'll live with forever. Yes, and his mom and their attorneys have started 
giving interviews, and we want to play a snippet here of an interview with his family's attorney. Lee, you know, the man who has now been arrested, has now been charged. At first, there was no arrest in the case. He says that he feared for his life that night. What do you what do you think when you hear that response? Well, it sounds awfully familiar. We know that blackness in and of itself, just being black has been seen as a threat often in this country. And so when we hear him say, I fear it for my life, and we know that the only thing he was being confronted with was a 16-year-old ringing his doorbell, it is uh, obviously unjustifiable uh, for him to decide to use deadly force against this so-called threat. But again, blackness is not a threat. Yeah, you know, the prosecutor in the case said, uh, Lee, that there was a racial component to this case, but he didn't elaborate. Can you elaborate for us on what exactly that means in this particular case? Well, I'm, I'm interested in hearing what Prosecutor Zachary Thompson, who we will speak with later today, is referring to as the racial element. There's some obvious racial elements. It's a white shooter. It's a black boy. Uh, the white shooter perceives the black boy as a threat, and we hear that a lot, right? Uh, we saw the law enforcement community respond by essentially criminalizing the boy and not criminalizing the shooter, the 80-year-old man who shot an unarmed kid. Uh, he went home and slept in his bed that night. That's kind of common in, in the United States in terms of the racial dynamic in our, our justice system. But I'm not sure what uh, Prosecutor Thompson was referring to exactly. Uh, the, the man in this case is 84, 84 years old. Does that mean anything to you? Does that say anything to you? Was age a factor here? Or do you think that this was strictly a well, case based on race and he, and he says he was afraid? Yeah. Well, we, we want to know more about Andrew Lester and his, his mindset. The fact that he's 84 years old will be a, a consideration in terms of what he thought leading into the moment. But I'll remind you that the former president and the current president of the United States is about that age as well. It's not an age that's sort of over the hill for everyone. Uh, and so he had an opportunity to make um, intentional decisions, and he decided to shoot a 16-year-old boy. Right. And we are learning more now about what happened in, in the initial meeting, I guess we could we could call it, even though no words were exchanged and and the shooter just started immediately shooting when a child showed up on his doorstep. He said that he heard the doorbell ring. He grabbed his gun because that's what you do. He said he had just gone to bed or just laid down. The doorbell rang. He got his gun, like you just said, mm-hmm. then went to answer the door. Right. And he claims that he saw a black male, approximately six feet tall, and was scared to death because of his age and his size. Yeah. So because because he was old and because he perceived that this child was a large black man. A hulking black threat to his safety. Now, the family has clarified that Ralph Jarl is 5'8". Five foot eight. He is not six feet tall. Right. He is not a large man. He's a child. He's a five eight, sixteen year old child. Yeah. Who is looking for his siblings. And this actually touches on uh, uh, common research findings where people perceive black people as as larger than white people. And there was a series of studies that were done a few years ago where participants were asked to connect a man's face to body size, to the potential harm the man could inflict, and whether the use of force against that man would be justified if there was some sort of altercation that occurred. And when participants in the studies believed that the man in the images was black, they tended to see the man as larger, potentially more harmful in an altercation, more threatening than a white person. Yeah. And they were also oftentimes more likely to say that use of force would be justified mm-hmm. against black men than white men. So this is kind of fitting with the picture of what research finds where white white men are perceived to be less threatening or right. dangerous. Right, and smaller yeah. than than black men. Yeah. So they're they're trying to figure out, you know, is this Or they're perceived accurately and black men are perceived in a racist biased way. Absolutely. We, but we see this bias in other areas outside of this in the medical field where new doctors, even old doctors believe that black people's skin is thicker than than white skin. 
or that they feel pain in a different way. All of these weird racist uh, ideas about black people. I mean, it's the weaponization of black skin. And the interesting thing to, I mean, it seems this way to me that when white people weaponize whiteness, it's white people doing it. I don't know any black person, never heard of an instance where a black person weaponizes their own skin color. It's also white people who not only weaponize their own skin color, they weaponize black skin color. It it is because of the fear that this guy who's afraid to death of a black kid showing up at his doorstep, he doesn't even say, hey, what what do you, I think you got the wrong house. Right. What are you selling? I don't want that. Go away. He just starts pulling the trigger. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, and with intent to kill, he shot him in the head. Well, and let's also talk about the police response here because he was not held. Is his name Andrew Lester? Yes, that's okay. Right. I keep in my mind because I love Succession. I keep thinking of Mo, Mo Lester. Mo Lester. The, anyway, if you don't watch Succession, you have no idea what I'm talking about, and I'm sorry, but you should definitely be watching Succession. And so the 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 shooter Andrew Lester was released he was taken into custody after the shooting but then he was immediately released and it wasn't until like five days later that people started protesting demanding that action be taken that charges were brought so here here we are in another situation this doesn't even involve a cop by the way i mean most of the time this is what you expect from a cop response where they are trying to protect themselves as the police right and and the citizens have to rise up and demand action from the police no this was just a dude yeah. In his 80s, yeah. who shot someone when he shouldn't have done that. And so the the family's attorney is talking about whether or not, whether or not the family's civil rights have been violated because there was no action prior to this national outcry. And so they're looking into that angle, too. I know there's been some discussion of, you know, why isn't there an attempted murder charge? Why isn't there this? And there was reporting yesterday from, from CBS that said the family met with the prosecutor had all of the charges explained to them, and that they are happy with with the charges because they learned that an attempted murder charge wouldn't bring a stronger sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they are satisfied with the charges that have been brought, and they are just hoping that that justice will be served in this situation. There's another element to this. It's not just the cops. It's not just uh, this Lester guy. It's also the neighbors. Like, the press was out there interviewing neighbors as they were leaving, coming and going from their homes and their cars. And it was pretty atrocious, some of the comments. Like, oh, we stick together. He's a good man. I'm going to just hillbill central out there. Mm -hmm. And, um, again, it's white people sticking together to cover up for what was an obvious, at the very least... If you're being as ridiculously charitable as you can be, a grave mistake, and at the very worst, you know, motivated hate uh, that 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 what was uh, materialized in the shooting of a child in his head. Right. Not the only case, though. Yeah, like you said, there was a 20 year old woman that was fatally shot. Unfortunately, she she lost her life after pulling into the wrong driveway in upstate New York. A 20-year-old woman was fatally shot after turning up the wrong driveway in upstate New York. Police say Kaylin Gillis was in the car with three friends looking for a friend's house in the rural area of Hebron, New York on Saturday night. After mistakenly pulling into the wrong driveway, police say Kevin Monahan came out of the house and fired two shots. One of the shots struck Gillis. They then drove to the neighboring town of Salem to get cell service and call for help. Emergency responders performed CPR on Gillis, but she was pronounced dead. There was clearly no threat from anyone in the vehicles. There was no reason for Mr. Monahan to feel threatened, especially as it appears the vehicles were leaving. According to officials, Monahan, who was 65, refused to come out of his house when officers arrived. He has been charged with second-degree murder and is being held in Warren County Jail. Again, no reason. So we are but left to speculate about what was so frightening to this grown man who's lived six and a half decades of life when kids pulled into his driveway to turn around Mm -hmm. and someone's dead now because easy access to weapons 
and what I am only uh, perceiving as this this indoctrination of fear and crime and all of the paranoia that comes around from Fox News propaganda, from Sean Hannity to Laura Ingram to Tucker Carlson, those idiots on the five, that all day long, it, the, the, in this older generation is being bombarded by messages of outrage and fear. Yeah. Well, in the case of the, the two Texas cheerleaders that were shot, they were in like a supermarket parking lot and opened the car door, I guess, thinking it was their car. Right, right. And Which, by the way, I've done on multiple occasions in my life. <laughs> Have you? Yes. Yeah, and unfortunately they were met with uh, a 25-year-old who decided to, to shoot them, even though yeah. they were apparently apologizing and had realized that they made a mistake. Yeah. And, and so, Texas. Yeah, I mean... This is what happens. I mean, listen... The right right now is going through the the motions of talking about blue cities and Democrat-run towns, and that's where the murder is, and it's so unsafe, and Washington, D.C. is some crime-addled hellscape. But research has shown time and time and time and time and time and time and time again that easier access to guns in states that, that voted for Donald Trump there, the higher crime rates, higher murder rates, higher violent crime, higher rates of gun violence. It's just the way it is. And here we are. More more evidence of it again. So, of course, in the context of all of this, the NRA held their convention. And Wayne LaPierre, who I thought was dead. Why, why did I think that? Uh, he's dead inside. Okay. I... <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. Charleston Heston, he was the president of the NRA for a long time. He died a long time ago. He's yeah. the cold, dead hands guy. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's why. I don't know. I know that those are clearly two different people, so that doesn't really make sense. But nice try trying to explain it. So, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, he was speaking at the NRA event. and Ominous language used very ominous language, specifically directed at uh, politicians and talking about how they should never go to bed unafraid. I don't care how many billionaires, TikTok stars, or Hollywood airheads they've got. Hear this. Gun-hating politicians should never go to bed unafraid of what this association and all of our millions of members can do to their political careers. Because you fight like hell for freedom and you get more of it. One member. This was an engineered line. He's not speaking extemporaneously. This is not off the cuff. This is not, you know, some improv workshop. These were prepared remarks from a speechwriter who intentionally used that language that politicians should not go to sleep uh, comfortable, they should be afraid. Now, he adds at the end to give himself political cover that they should be afraid that we will end their political careers, but this is the same skirting with violent rhetoric that we have seen from Donald Trump, and the right knows that it works. They know that it whips the base into a frenzy, and oftentimes, too many times, it ends in violence from some unhinged acolyte who's going to carry out what they believe to be the wishes of a Donald Trump or a Wayne LaPierre. Yeah. Just irresponsible, fucking gross, should be criminal. Yeah. So we have one more gun-related story before we get into to the meat of the show where we're going to do like a, a catch-up on a few stories and then we're going to get a little bit deeper into a few stories. So this, this last gun story, because I know that Anonymous Caller in particular, who was sick of the gun debate, is like just skipping forward right now every 15 seconds. <laughs> it was like, and it's like, still? <laughs> still talking about it? <laughs> so... I, th- I thought this was interesting, though, because they're starting to really assess the number of Americans who have directly experienced gun-related incidents, and this blew my mind. There's only so many times you can walk into a room and tell someone they're not coming home tomorrow, and it just breaks your heart. 
Louisville trauma surgeon Jason Smith says he has seen and had enough. I'm weary. He's not the only one seeing the effects of gun violence firsthand. In a new survey on the impact of gun violence, KFF found that 54% of adults said they have, or a family member has, experienced a gun-related incident, such as being threatened with a gun or having a family member killed by a gun, including by suicide. Ashley Kurtzinger was one of the survey's lead authors. To her, it's personal. My sister was accidentally shot in the back. So thankful that she survived. But I can tell you firsthand it's impacted my family. Hers and so many others, from mass shootings at concerts, movie theaters, places of worship, supermarkets, schools, and inside the workplace. It's a toll that keeps mounting. The survey found 15% of people have avoided religious services or celebrations. 20% have changed or considered changing their child's school. And 35% have avoided large crowds because of the possibility of gun violence. I think a lot of attention is being paid to victims immediately following the shooting, but I think what the survey shows is that there's a long tail that follows these victims and their families. I'd be among that 54%. Mm. I had a cousin uh, killed in a murder-suicide back in the late 70s, maybe early 80s. I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a gun pulled on me. Brett number one and I walking through the the streets of our tiny, tiny hometown, like 2,000 people. Not even, we don't even have a stoplight in my hometown and said hi to a guy and he pulled out a gun and aimed it and started firing, mm-hmm. which we ran down the street and tried to get into the barbershop. The guy locked the door and we had to run away. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, it is an egregious misstep and mismanagement uh, on the part of the right to oppose gun laws and gun restrictions at every single turn. And they turn the argument into they're going to come for everyone's guns. If you have an opinion like me that the AR-15 style weapon, a weapon of war, uh, a gun modeled after the M-16, a gun that is the M-16 without um, you know a three-round burst, that if you if you oppose its private ownership, that you're just you want to take all guns, and that's they're they're mixing the arguments on purpose to confuse the issue, so no progress can be made. Yeah, I mean we we've talked in the past about like what were radicalizing moments for you in terms of bringing you to leftist politics, and you know I, I can point to things in my childhood where like I had to sneak in the middle of the night and turn on the heater and lay my blanket over the vent to fill it with hot air because yeah. I was so fucking cold that I was just desperate and didn't care about the consequences of turning the heater on even though I wasn't supposed to because I'm like I need to sleep I need to go to school tomorrow right 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 um (laughs) those are like those are radicalizing moments and these are radicalizing moments for people they should be that encounter gun violence whether or not they themselves were shot whether they lost a loved one whether they witnessed this happen in public the the effects are widespread and it's not just the people who get killed it's the people who again are present at the event who witness it who 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 lose someone they love it spreads out the ripple effects spread out and we're talking about the trauma that follows people as well for possibly the rest of their lives so it it is something that i think republicans are not thinking about as we continue to hear about these events daily in the news at this point the number of people that are being affected, the number of people that are becoming radicalized, that are understanding something needs to change. Yeah. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So before we get into some of these stories, we want to quickly talk about the Fox News Dominion lawsuit and the settlement that was reached yesterday before things got started in the courtroom. Seven hundred eighty-seven million five hundred thousand dollars. That Over is, three quarters of a, bi- a billion dollars. It's a lot of money. 
So that tells you what they didn't want to go through in the courtroom, what they didn't want to come out in the court proceedings. I mean, can you imagine what that would have been like having Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson or Laura Ingram or Jesse Waters or Janine Pirro or or any other of these idiots who uh, Maria Bartiromo, Lou Dobbs, a former employee, putting these people on the stand, having having them be cross-examined by by a, a, a very adroit legal practitioner, if you will, it would have been a disaster, uh, a reputational disaster for Fox News. Mm -hmm. And in the statement, this was funny, I thought that Fox, when they gave a statement, said, we acknowledge the court's ruling, rulings finding certain claims about Dominion to be false. Yeah. Hmm. Yes. That's a very, very <laughs> verbose way to say, yeah, we fucking lied. Yeah. Yeah, we lied a lot. We lied uh, so much that we're willing to pay half of what the, the original lawsuit was for, $1.6 billion. It's virtually half that money that they're just going to give up. It's, I mean, it's a, it, it's, it, and it's not going to end here. The, the the attorneys were on the steps of the court yesterday, and one of them was saying that uh, this isn't over. There are individuals. He's using coded language. I wouldn't be surprised if individual suits weren't brought against Janine Pirro, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, the the rest of these idiots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are. They still are continuing with the My Pillow guy, with um, Sidney Powell, and then there's the whole set of. Smartmatic, the other company, the competitor to Dominion Voting Systems, they also have a defamation cl- uh, claim against Fox News that is even more than the 1.6 billion. It's like $2.5 billion. Yeah. So <laughs> if you enjoyed all of the drama, all of the court documents, it's going to be coming out as well. Yeah. So we also, because of everything that has happened, missed talking about the big ProPublica reporting. It's like a series of reporting now on Clarence Thomas. And initially it was the trips that he's been going on with his billionaire pal Harlan Crow. By the way, what does it say about America that we have so many fucking billionaires that I'd never heard of Nepo baby Harlan Crow? Yeah, so... (laughs) The, The collector of Nazi Hitler memorabilia has Hitler paintings in his house just to... Just to, to to make sure everybody knows we can't go back to that. We got young, hey, we hate Nazis so bad. I want to have Hitler paintings in my house. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't think that you need a signed copy of Mein Kampf in order to not forget right. the horrors that happened? And then his 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 garden of like dictator statues and shit. Just fucking weird. Again, man. You, you have to remember, never forget. Haven't M- you heard it? Money must really be a corrupting influence on the soul i i mean we'll never know luckily we'll never know (laughs) secretly i have a a garden of dictator statues so sorry yeah so it isn't just trips on yachts it isn't just the the gifts that clarence thomas wasn't reporting that he had received which he's claiming that he didn't know that he needed to report or he felt that it wasn't something that he needed to report they uh, ProPublica reported that he actually has real estate deals that had gone unreported with Harlan Crow as well. Right, and which is a flagrant no wiggle room around it violation of reporting rules for the Supreme Court. Yeah, and of course he's calling this an oversight, and that's why he didn't hmm. report it. Mm-hmm. And that he intends to review his financial disclosure forms and amend as appropriate. And the Washington Post has further done investigation and realized that he's claiming income, like $100,000 a year or some, some you know, not insignificant amount of income up until like last year from a company that hasn't been in business since 2006. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of impropriety, uh, unethical behavior. Um, it's not just a lapse in understanding of the rules, especially for a guy who holds technicalities. I mean, he doesn't allow people off the hook relative to uh, the death penalty because of technicalities in in, in the court processes. Mm-hmm. It's just whatever rules apply to everybody else, that applies to everybody else. But I'm Clarence Thomas. I'm a justice on the Supreme Court. I get a different set of rules. Yeah. 
So let's talk about Mifepristone because the issue is now before the Supreme Court and we haven't we haven't spent a lot of time talking about this recently. So we all remember that that radical right-wing judge in Texas, Judge Kaczmarek, made a ruling that ordered a hold on the federal approval of Mifepristone. And I don't know if anyone read this court <laughs> This, this ruling that he released. Did it, did it read like a Catholic sermon? Because he's like crazy Catholic guy like uh, Amy Coney Barrett is. Oh my, I was so radical, the language that he used in this ruling. I'm going to read directly what he wrote. Mifepristone is a synth- synthetic steroid that blocks the hormone progesterone, halts nutrition, and ultimately starves the unborn human until death. The unborn human. Because mifepristone alone will not always complete the abortion, FDA mandates a two-step drug regimen, mifepristone, to kill the unborn human, followed by misopristol, to induce cramping and contractions to expel the unborn human from the mother's womb. Trump appointee. And of course, remember, we're talking about a medication that is used within the first 10 weeks of pregnancy. So when he's like using this language, I would I would advise everyone to go check out Maya Network. It is a network of clinicians and activists and people who want to normalize abortion care. And they released pictures of what the tissue looks like up up to 10 weeks. Yeah, it seriously looks... Have you ever seen the, the Petri dish where they like, they scrape the, the little... Uh, the little Q-tip on like the uh, on the the movie seat, and then they scrub it on the the petri dish, and then a week later it looks like ah oh, fuck, look at all that mold. Of course, I've seen that. It's I start a- my morning <laughs> watching those videos every morning. That's exactly what it looked like. It looked like moldy bread, like mold that you get on bread if you just leave it. It's just tissue, right? Yeah, it's just tissue. So when he is acted, the unborn human is expelled. You know, it, it, there's a perfect drop for this. That what's that music? No, it's the Jesus music. The like the She's not a Pat Robertson. The Pat Robertson music oh, yeah. we would always use. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the unborn human is expelled by cramping. Mythopristone will take us all down, so saith the Lord. Okay, so after the Texas judge issued his role. I timed that out pretty good and it got no props for it. You did really go really well. What's the name of that song? Um, uh, Carmina Barana. <laughs> okay. So after... I, I titled the clip Evil Pat Robertson, <laughs> Carmina Barana, so... <laughs> okay, so after the Texas judge released his ruling, a Washington judge released a ruling that directly conflicted the Texas ruling, which then pushed the case to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. Now, the Fifth Circuit then preserved partial access to mifepristone, uh, but with tighter rules. So their ruling stated that the abortion pill can remain on the market, but only under strict conditions that prohibit its use beyond seven weeks of pregnancy, and you can no longer uh, distribute it by mail. So this kind of goes to what Judge Kaczmarek stated in his reasoning. It goes back to the Comstock Act and uh, these different things that are certainly above my pay grade. But a lot of people have asked, you know, why is a judge able to make this decision? And I think that that's a good question because it's obvious that this judge has no expertise in this area. Yeah, right. He's not a scientist. He's not a. Wait, wait. He's not? He's not a medical researcher. He's not a healthcare provider. Unborn human. And yet he's able to say that the FDA was out of step in in their approval of, of Mifepristone, and he can put on hold FDA's approval of Mifepristone. Well, let's, I mean, let's be honest about this. Mifepristone is um, pretty dangerous. I mean, it, it kills half as many people as Viagra, like two per every million or something. I mean, it, it's a joke. It, yeah. it is wildly safe literally viagra kills twice as many people and yet he's not there's no case to take it off the market because there are there are there are boners crying everywhere and you can't take viagra off the market penicillin kills more people than mifepristone come on yeah so the overall mortality rate for medication abortion is 0.65 deaths per 100,000 medication abortions. And 
For penicillin, it is two deaths per 100,000. For Viagra, it is four deaths per 100,000. And so if we're looking and comparing these different drugs, yeah, it seems it's m- like... More than twice as many people. Viagra. Judge Kaczmarek should really be concerned about Viagra. Well... <laughs> Do we think he's concerned about it? Well, here's the deal, is Viagra inserts the unborn human. And Mifepristone wants to take the unborn human away. So that's his concern is just, he's he's hypervigilant about the welfare of uh, the moldy bread spores. Yeah, so right now we are awaiting a decision from the Supreme Court again. And they are expected to, I, I believe, issue some sort of ruling by midnight on Wednesday. So, uh... What the important message is that I want everyone to get from this before we we get into the clip is that you can still get mifepristone. You can still get it, and it is safe. And if you if you are in need of it, you can check out Aid Access, which is an organization that you that helps you get uh, abortion pills. And you can also go to Plan C Pills. That's an organization that yeah, helps yeah. you find resources to get the pills. And we will put links to both of those in the description. I would recommend that you share that information widely with with people in your life so that they can they can get it and listen even if the supreme court ruling goes the way that it shouldn't go which is um upholding judge kesmerick's ruling on on mifepristone there are still organizations that can help you access abortion even in states where abortion is banned and one of those is the national abortion federation and i'm going to put links to all of this in the description but i think it's important when we're talking about this to put things into context because it is very confusing. I mean, I was reading about all this. It's above my pay grade, all these different courts, all these different rulings. What does it all mean? And the important thing to remember is that you can still get it. And even if you are in a state where abortion is banned, there are organizations that will help you, that will give you funds, that will help you figure it out, and and, and will help you out of a situation that you don't want to be in. So... Uh, like we said, the Supreme Court's going to be ruling, and they, they temporarily uh, put into place the FDA approval of the abortion pill mefepristone, so you can still get it, but we are waiting for what happens next. Good morning, Gail. Well, think of this as this stay that was imposed by the Supreme Court on Friday as a bid to buy a little more time because it's going to expire just before midnight on Wednesday. In the meantime, the court is going to examine this ruling restricting the use of mifepristone and decide whether to put a longer term hold on the ruling. All this comes as new polling suggests that most Americans think the abortion pill should remain available. Protesters hit the streets across the country this weekend over the future of the abortion drug mifepristone as the Supreme Court weighs what to do about a Texas ruling that could take the pill off the market. When you attack the rights of women in America, you are attacking America. Mifepristone is one of two medications used together to carry out more than half of all abortions in the U.S. A new CBS News poll found that 67% of adults in the U.S. think the drug should continue to be available in states where abortion is legal. That includes nearly half of all Republicans. The Biden administration has asked the Supreme Court to reverse the new restrictions, arguing they would have sweeping consequences for the pharmaceutical industry, women who need access to the drug, and the FDA's ability to implement its statutory authority. South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham opposes abortion and once proposed a nationwide 15-week abortion ban. But even he seemed concerned about the Texas ruling. I don't like a district court judge issuing a national decree even if I agree with the judge. In the meantime, some Democratic governors are insisting their residents will have access to the abortion drug no matter what. We're going to make sure that medication abortion is available in our state. Overall, our polling shows that half of all adult women in the U.S. say that access is to access to reproductive health care is getting harder. In a statement, the drug maker that produces mifepristone said it was gratified by the Supreme Court's decision to put this Texas ruling on hold even for a few days and said the company will look forward to the court's ongoing consideration. Tony. So I am reminded that I didn't finish what I was saying about the Comstock Act. So the Comstock Act is from 1873 
So you love to have things that are from 1873 still <laughs> affecting us in 2023. Hang on. Let me get on my telegraph. <laughs> I just translated what you said. Uh, a federal law that was signed by uh, President Grant. <laughs> yes. Very good. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's so exciting. And it was a law that makes it a crime to mail, quote, every obscene, lewd, lascivious, indecent, filthy, or vile article, matter, thing, device, or substance, or to mail anything for any indecent or immoral purpose. Wow, that's, that, that's the legal justification. Yeah. Yikes! And so the Trump-appointed judge, judge... Oh, hang on. I have audio from the, the author of the Comstock Act. She's not a Christian! <laughs> <laughs> so, Judge... Thanks for joining us, crazy Christian lady. Uh, judge Kismarek, uh referenced the, the Comstock Act, a provision of it in his, in his ruling, and... He's like Will Hunting in the courtroom scene where he's... He's quoting, like, from 1781, some crazy, antiquated, archaic law. Yeah, so he's saying that there's this provision of the Comstock Act that purports to ban, quote, every article or thing designed, adapted, or intended for producing abortion or any indecent or immoral use from being mailed. So that's partially why... How do guns get from place to place? Hmm. Yeah. That's a question for another day, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is going to be a question for the Supreme Court. And, you know, we love to be in this position where every once in a while we're all just on pins and needles waiting for which rights we're going to be able to have after people like Clarence Thomas yeah. get to rule on it. Even though we live in a society where the majority of Americans approve of the drug and... Yeah, almost two-thirds. Yeah. So, you know, Fox News, they haven't really learned their lesson. They're continuing to lie. And this was no more apparent than when Martha McCallum decided to, in her conversation with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds here, talk about the Republicans and what they actually want to do with abortion. ...is to just drive the hypocrisy that's coming from this administration. Yeah. It's win at all cost. It's win at all cost. You know, I mean, during the midterms, there were influencers who basically said Republicans want to ban abortion nationwide, right? Which is not yeah. the case. Yeah. The, the, the Supreme Court decision meant that states would have the discretion and the vote over what they want the rules to be in their own state. But that's not what mm -hmm. people were told. And you saw students wrapped around the block to vote in Michigan and Wisconsin. It was clearly a factor. So here, I'm going to show people some more of these TikTok influencers. And this is all about how happy they are to be at the White House. But they also talk a lot about issues. And in many cases, they don't necessarily know what they're talking about. But watch this. I wonder who doesn't know what they're talking about in that clip. I don't think it's the TikTok stars they're going to cut to. I think it's Martha McCallum who's lying about Republicans and their goal of banning abortion. And nowhere is that more apparent than what we're talking about right now, where medication abortion is used in more than half of abortions right. in the United States. And it wasn't just overturning Roe and sending the issue back to the states. No, this political activist group did what's called forum shopping, and they found a judge in Texas yeah. where they could file this lawsuit to ban medication abortion in the United States. And we're now waiting to see what the Supreme Court is going to rule on this. So save it. If, if I don't believe what you're saying, that this wasn't the goal of Republicans, it absolutely is the goal of Republicans. It's the stated objective in the Republican platform that this is what they want. Yeah, it's about to happen. So Ugh. I, I, you know, even with people like Ron DeSantis, who just signed a six-week abortion ban in the state of Florida, where where people don't even know they're pregnant at six weeks. Right. They're, you don't even know that you're pregnant at six weeks. So not even bread mold yet. It's not, I mean, I... <sighs> I just I <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm I'm heartbroken because people are going to die. People are going to die because of this. Right. And Not only that, children will be born into homes where they're not taken care of. Yeah. Children will be born into chaos. Children will be born into poverty. It will continue a cycle of need and want and poverty for generations to come. Yeah, and this is this is why I keep emphasizing, and I shouldn't get so hopeless and upset, because there are organizations, like I talked about, that are still helping people, and it's important that we 
help get that information out. So if you are if you are passionate about this, I would please check out the links that we're going to put in the description and share them with people in your life so that that we can get this information out to people and they know they have options. That's yeah. it. We'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Bike New York. Bike New York. Taking care of biz. Bike New York is an organization that helps, I guess, like refurbish old bicycles or donated bicycles. But wait, there's more. And get them up and running so that they can donate them to people who need transportation in the city so that they can get around. Asylum seekers Josue and Raymari had a tough five-month journey to the U.S. With the help of a lawyer, the Venezuelans came through Texas and have spent the last three months trying to get their footing in New York City. After months of searching and searching for work, I finally found a job. Josue landed a restaurant delivery job with just one problem. No car or bike to deliver the food. That's when a group of complete strangers stepped in to help. The nonprofit Bike New York collects unwanted and damaged bikes. Those donations are repaired and given to the newest New Yorkers, the thousands of migrants who arrived over the last year. Try it out. Ken Podziba runs the program. Bicycle is freedom. There's no better way of helping people acclimate and connect to the city than by giving them the opportunity to bike. But for Josue and Ramari, it's so much more than a cheap way to get around. I'll be able to work and have an income for me and my family. I'll also be able to mobilize around the city and most of all, contribute back to this city. When Kate Dunham heard about the program, she jumped at the chance to give her unused bicycles a new home. It just seems like a natural, easy thing to do, to know that the bike actually can make a difference for someone. The city of New York is also involved in the program helping get the bikes to asylum seekers who need them most. I'm very grateful for everyone who's given a hand in this, everyone who's helped us. Too high? It's a small gesture, but one that goes miles towards a new start. Michael George, CBS News, New York. So we really couldn't leave you in a sad place. And I felt like this was a very nice, uplifting story. There, I, I don't want to shit on the, on the sweet moment here, but... They are seeming fewer and far between. <laughs> the, the good moments. Yeah, you're. What do you? Because you search and you search. Listen, if if I have to suffer <laughs> of listening to you bitch and complain about not being able to find good news clips, then everybody else has to as well. Okay. Yeah, it is hard to find. But fantastic <laughs> effort. This does go to show there are good people out there with beautiful hearts and intention who are doing hard work to take care of other people. Yeah. Yeah. Bike New York. And they are not, yeah, I'm going to stay positive. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say they're not Republicans. <laughs> no, they're definitely not. I mean, they might be, but. Anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you very much. Uh, we would ask that if you are not yet a Patreon supporter, that you consider doing so. If you have to budget it in, do not consider it. Your listenership and your sharing of the episodes, your following us on social media is enough. But if you have some disposable income and you'd like to help produce what we do here, go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. We love you guys. We'll see you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dalmore, and this has been I Doubt It.